Hey, everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos and Ken Levin. So how are you guys doing? Good, good. So I spoke with you earlier in the week. Obviously, the draft was Monday night, and we had a live draft special. Uh, So we'll pick up from where we left off last week, because the draft actually continued, despite it taking like four hours to make like 40 picks. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah. Before we continue, we've had, you know, basically a week to digest Beatty being drafted. Uh, We discussed him last week. Has anything changed regarding your thoughts and feelings about him since then? About specifically Beatty? Yeah, about Beatty. Generally, we were all pretty positive um, when on draft night. Have have you guys changed your opinions about anything since? Uh, Go ahead, Lucas. No, I don't think so. I mean, the same... Like, is it not a profile that's great, right? Like, it's an old prep guy who's a bad, well, not bad body, but mediocre body corner infielder. But, so, so that's not a great profile, but the player itself looks intriguing. So I'm, I don't want to overthink or generalize it based on the skills we see. Yeah, it's not like a great profile, but there's still considerable upside um, based on the, the power potential. So. Yeah, yeah, have to agree. I mean, I was, I was fairly. I thought it was a fairly, you know, I was fairly happy uh, when they drafted him, and my thoughts have really not changed. All right, so uh, we'll continue now with the second draft pick, and with it, the Mets selected Josh Wolf, Joshua Wolf, who is a right-hander uh, out of Houston, Texas. He's pretty raw. Um, but there's a lot to like. Solid 90s fastball, uh, an above average, you know, hammer curve. He has a changeup that is a pretty good feel for for a high school kid. So, what do you guys think about this pick? Uh, I think he's Simple Woods Richardson to Electric Boogaloo. Yep. 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 And uh, honestly, right down I... to the like fastball jump in his senior year. Like, mm hmm. At least he was like, uh, it, it was a more known name. It felt like it wasn't like, oh crud, we missed who we actually wanted. Uh, this guy. It seems like this was actually reasonably industry, uh, reasonably well-known pick in the industry. So, yeah, a guy who was projected to go on, you know, if not the first day, very early on the second mm-hmm. day, probably. Mm-hmm. So, like you could the the, and we'll get to the next pick next but like for most of the prep arms that get drafted in these spots or like in this range you can copy paste the same three sentences good velocity uh, occasionally has a good breaking ball no real change up crummy delivery frame that can fill out probably a reliever yep yeah that, copy that paste that like sums. 50 times yep <laughs> which is fine like sometimes this turns into like an ace sometimes it they blow out their elbow and flame out and sometimes you get a late inning arm like this yep. is the process here is fine it, we we're all in agreement that with uh swr they probably have the uh the late inning reliever right yeah so uh i don't know i think i, I think he's a late inning reliever i yeah, don't i don't too. even know if he oh true true yeah i mean there's always the attrition risk right I, i'm just not a fan of him uh, i kind of waver back and forth mm-hmm with Woods Richardson, uh, when he was picked last year, I was kind of like, eh, don't really know too much about him. Uh, doing my research, he seemed I like with him anyway. I liked more of the, obviously the the velocity is great, and I like the demeanor that he had on the mound. And then having you know watched him a little bit, and we've gotten some reports that have trickled in from uh, the Sally this year, and. I'm just not, you know, just the more I hear about him, the less enthusiastic I am. But there's still plenty of time for him to mature and change and develop as a pitcher. So, you know, ask me three years from now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. We, we could have a long discussion about, like, the melding of 
uh, scouting and analytics in terms of picking up what deciding not only what guys are already good, but what guys your system can make better. So like the Yankees do this better than anyone else, picking up random arms that they make better. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps if the Mets are not that they've picked a ton of prep arms, it feels like, or at least not a ton of highly drafted ones, but if they keep winding up with these relievers or not even that out of these picks, maybe they need to do some more work to figure out, okay, here's here are the detailed profile points we're looking for in these picks, and here's what the program is going to be for them. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's really hard to evaluate these these picks, I feel like, the, the prep arm picks, because oh, it's yeah. just such a... Like you're relying on industry information that's mediocre at best most of the time and yeah it's constantly shifting right and the develop that it's not only not only is the information system shifting constantly but the actual facts are shifting constantly because it's an 18 year old pitcher yeah the development process is so long and nebulous that it's really hard to say anything but like process wise i think it's fine oh yeah oh yeah yeah like um i would say so the problem with prep pitchers is they're the riskiest profile and the riskiest you know age group Mm-hmm. of draftees um and like we said like things jump around a lot. i mean swr is a good example of that where um you know out of the draft he was like 92 to 94 reportedly jumped to like 97 <laughs> in extended and pitching in short stints between the gcl and kingsport and settled in, in columbia back at like 92 to 94 right like it's always a moving target Yep, lots going on. All right, well, um, in a similar mold, but not really, the Mets made their third pick, and they did something uh, totally unexpected and selected Matthew Allen. And I know when I heard his name, I was like, what? Uh, I had to check the draft board. I had to check my notes to make sure that I wasn't confusing him with someone else. But, yep, it was the Matthew Allen, who was basically seen as one of, if not the, top high school right-hander available in this draft. Um, similar profile to Wolf, you know, solid 90s fastball, above-average curve, uh, good feel for the change. Um, Allen has better mechanics than Wolf. Wolf has kind of... Uh, reliever-ish mechanics, whereas Wolf, uh, uh, excuse me, Wolf has reliever-ish mechanics, whereas Allen is probably, at least in the near future, projecting anyway, uh, more likely to remain a starter. But this was a good pick, and I- I'm not used to the Mets making good picks. Yeah. This is so out of character for them. Like, I don't know. I thought for sure when he, um, you know, the Jeff Passan thing where he originally announced that uh, Allen was the pick for the Cubs at, I think, like 28. uh, And then they ended up choosing somebody else because of signability concerns. I thought for sure he was going to Florida after that. Right. Well, I mean, this, we have to give credit to the Mets scouting department and all of their guys that were involved in the draft because... It's definitely uh, a case of thinking on their feet, doing, hopefully, because, you know, a lot, as we'll get into in a little bit, a lot changed in the draft for them to um, have room with their slot money to, to, to sign Allen. But uh, obviously a lot of due diligence had to have been made, checking in with him, his, his people, checking in with the people that they drafted after him um, because basically he changed, selecting Allen changed the entire face of what the Mets did in the draft for rounds four to ten. Yep, absolutely. I'm trying to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, I was, like, I was just shocked by how much of a departure this is from their usual draft strategy. Like, can we, off the top of your head, can you name any third-round picks they've made in, like, the last, I don't know, five to ten years? Wasn't David Thompson a third-round pick or something? He like, was fifth, I think. Fifth? Here, okay. let's, let's, I'll pull it up. 
Blake to Barry, I believe. Blake to Barry, you a third round pick? Yeah. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Right, but th- th- that's the kind of. Sh- uh, Carlos Cortez was a third oh, round pick. Right, right, an overslot third. An overslot third round pick. Um, right, but this is the stuff that the kind of stuff they usually pick in the third is whatever oh, yes. college hitters that can't really hit. Uh, like they the Mets draft. Like we talked about this leading up to the draft, how generally they do okay in the first round, and then. From then on, like it's just the most underwhelming, milk toast nonsense that hasn't produced any real results. So this is just like totally off the wall instead. Yeah, it was welcome. I mean, it, this this draft is definitely the most exciting draft that I've covered in the couple of years that I've been doing this now. When was like the the last time I can't. I don't think the Mets have drafted a pitching prospect this good since Harvey. Do we think that's fair to say? Ballmer, maybe. But um, he, wasn't, he wasn't as close to, he wasn't like a top 20 overall talent or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if you want to compare prep pitcher to prep pitcher, Fulmer, I think, is definitely the guy to... That's, in, that's in, fair. In the conversation. Yeah. Like, it's it's they never do this. They always tend to college. They tend to hitter. <clears throat> Don't pick it. They pick. They picked like a couple random prep arms, like in rounds eleven to fifteen, like uh, Max Planck and uh, a bunch of other guys that haven't really panned out. So this was exciting and uh, interesting. Right. The conventional strategy is basically, you know, you pick the best player with your first pick. You know, with maybe with your first two or three picks, you pick the best players, and then from there on, you just kind of. Four to four to ten with the rest of the slots. You're kind of balancing, saving money here and there with picking guys that you are identifying as you know being good. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they actually are good is just a matter of how good your scouts are and your analytics people and everything like that. That's a completely different issue, uh, one that the Mets have had issues with. But this year was uh, very different. Basically. In order to afford being able to sign Beatty, Wolf, and Allen, because all three of them are going to be signing for considerable bonuses, um, the Mets are going to have to the Mets have to alloc- take money that was allocated to those lower slots in rounds four through ten and allocate it to those first three picks. So they selected a whole bunch of college seniors who really have no leverage whatsoever and are basically going to have to take very, very, very low draft uh, signing bonuses. Mm-hmm. Now, in that grouping, are there any names that stand out to you guys? For whatever reason. Guys you like, guys you think are kind of underappreciated because they're seniors and are going to sign for hardly anything? Um... Oda seemed interesting to me. Like, he put up some... Like it's so hard to judge college stats, especially in not great conferences. Like, oh, you're walking a lot and hitting for some power against, like, nothing in terms of competition. So And, and with different equipment, you know? Right, right. Metal mm-hmm. bats and everything. So, I don't know. Like, it just seemed like a lot of potential fifth outfielder types, maybe. Um... Wollersheim has... I watched Zach Ashford take a few at-bats uh, on Watch ESPN. What do you think of his swing? Uh, not terrible, but, you know, he basically, I saw probably five at-bats, and all of them were balls on the ground at the shortstop. Mm-hmm. So that was consistent. Kind of yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Brooklyn will have a really nice outfield defense because they've drafted, like, four different guys who have a general profile of can play center field, kind of speedy, etc. Are you guys yeah. excited for uh, Jake Mangum season in Brooklyn? I am, actually. I like him. He's I don't know what it is about him, but... Do you think he's... like What, what do you think is... Do you think he ever has a chance to sniff the majors, or is it more just a passing curiosity? No, no. He's He is a kind of... Um, What's the best way to put it? 
he's a farmhand, I guess. That's mm-hmm. a nice way of putting it. I don't think that, you know, maybe at best he might be a kind of guy that makes it to AAA and bounces up and down as needed depending on what the how the Mets are doing. But mm-hmm. that's like 90th percentile best case scenario. Those 90th percentile outcome is like... Mm, a fifth outfielder. Bad Matt Dendecker. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah. We'll say he's an extreme long shot, but an interesting extreme long shot. Yeah, he's... Uh, him and a lot of the guys that they drafted are all kind of in the same mold. Center fielders... Not really power hitters, but kind of line drive hitters, uh, above average speed. You know, a bunch of them almost you could just copy and paste. But that's kind of exciting baseball. So if nothing else, we might have some exciting baseball. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is like the, the real takeaway is that they focused on the top three picks. And I think that's totally fine because these middle rounds are generally... You don't get much out of them anyway. Yeah, that so. is that is I think the biggest um, point to be made here is that the Mets went you know dumpster diving. That's not a very nice way of saying it, but they they were basically looking for the cheapest players available that they also identified as being good. And these guys, um, when and if they sign, are going to get very low bonuses. But just because they're getting very low bonuses, it doesn't necessarily make them worse than the guys that the Mets have drafted in the last couple of years that have, yeah. they, they've been giving either slot value or overslot bonuses to. Yeah, it's not like the Mets are drafting great juniors as is. Right. I was interested in uh, Wollersheim, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that as well, which to, to the surprise of no one who knows me and also knows his story, like he's already dug into the data on his pitches a lot, which I always find interesting. And he might not be anything, but I appreciate guys who take a cerebral approach to things or use all the tools available to them. And I also, uh, especially in the age of all this, all the new analytics, communication is really important. And I'm always interested in players who embrace it while they're still playing because I think they can easily transition to a front office role and play like an interesting role in communicating stuff uh, to other players. So. I liked that pickup too. Who was the uh, the Dallas Baptist guy? Is that um... Jordan Martinson? Yeah. yeah, I read an article. Uh, ben Lindbergh at the Ringer, I think, named him as a um, also an extremely analytic guy. That, mm-hmm. That's apparently what Dallas Baptist University does very well is um, like equip their pitchers with TrackMan stuff. Yep. Uh, reminds me kind of like. Um, the same kind of story as like Brian Bannister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good connection. Yeah. Runs the uh, the Red Sox pitching development. Right. So. Well, that's exactly like the kind of future I can envision for this guy. Like, even if you don't have the stuff, you've already yeah. thought about it, and hopefully that like makes communicating it to other players easier down the line. And getting someone like that in the organization, maybe he wants to work for you down in like five or six years or something. So also like a good understanding of the data probably like increases his chances significantly. Absolutely. Even if they're not necessarily, you know, if it's not necessarily taking him from like to like a big league future, you know, it at least raises the odds that he's, he, you know, has a chance at that. Right. It's it's another tool to use to improve your game. And if you don't use it, you're, you're hamstringing yourself. Right. Especially when you're a guy that doesn't have premium, you know, athleticness or stuff or whatever it may be. Yeah, the guys on the margins need everything they can get, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's cool that they brought in a guy who seems willing to try anything he can get to improve, you know? Um, So, what do you guys think of this strategy? I mean... Do you think that it's going to come back to hurt the Mets? Because it's really going to be a... I mean, again, I'm assuming because that they drafted Allen and changed the whole composition of... Likely changed the whole composition of their draft. They have assurances from most, if not all, of these guys that they're going to sign. And the math is all going to work out. 
but it's an extremely, extremely thin margin of error. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, all it know. takes is one junior sign to put it in jeopardy, you know? Exactly. Or one, so. one senior sign not signing. Mm-hmm. Because he has, like, a finance job or something to, you know. Would you guys have rather have seen them do something more conventional? I don't think so. No. I, I think back to the 2012 draft when they also picked a 12, and I'm, I'm currently looking at the talent they brought in, and, you know, you could say they hit on Ploiecki, kind of. Mm-hmm. Cheech is what he is, but there's not all that much behind it, you know? And, like, this year they have three decent shots at, like, big league caliber players. So. I think I think this is something that has also changed recently in baseball, and... Uh, teams like the Dodgers and the Astros do this better than anyone. They turn, they churn up marginal talent from nothing, right? They turn, they churn up the margins of their rosters, like those fifth infield, fifth bench players, fifth outfielders, eighth relievers, from nothing. And if you look at what the Mets are getting out of rounds four to ten, it's usually those kind of players. So ideally, you should be able to magically create that talent or find it or develop it yourself. And if you if you're not like hitting on anything higher than that, those picks are are wasted anyway. So why not swing for the fences with the first three and then punt them? If that yeah, makes sense. As as long as the math everything works out, you might as well. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm trying to. The Mets will always find a way to be uh, more inept than you think they could manage. <clears throat> yeah. So the the Mets will always be the Mets. Uh, yes, uh, that's the best way to put that. Um, but I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here and assume they've like done their homework, given all these guys a call and said, hey, we'll give you $10,000 to come play a summer. And then if you don't want in anymore after that, that's fine. So I, I assume they've done their homework here. Well, let's hope. <laughs> yeah, barring like a low Mets sort of, you know, implosion. Yeah. Uh, this looks pretty good. Uh, as I said before, I don't, uh, I mean, we don't know, but I find it so unlikely. It would be such a failure of everything to have not done the due diligence because it just is such a radical departure from the conventional strategy. And, and you know, they're not going to go with high school with with college seniors that are you know going to be signing for nothing for so many rounds if they're not so sure you know if if they're not 100 percent certain that their top three guys are going to be signing yeah all right well um they didn't sign only they didn't draft only high school seniors um there are a couple of juniors that are scattered in Nobody really too exciting. Um, I think that um, Brandon Fryman was the most exciting of all of those guys, and he is really not too high of an upside guy. Mm-hmm. But there are a bunch of uh, prep players that they did pick, and it's unlikely that majority of them sign it's it's unlikely that most of them sign really but there are some interesting names um with this 22nd pick they selected blaine mcintosh who was an outfield out of sycamore high school in tennessee with the 24th pick they selected hunter barco who was a left-hand pitcher from the bowl school which is a high school uh, academy in florida he already announced he's going to florida right yeah, I mean, most of these guys, it's extremely unlikely that they sign. Yeah, I think he um, already he already announced on Twitter that he's a gamer. All right, so <laughs> with the 25th pick, they selected Joseph Charles, who is a right-handed pitcher from TNXL Academy, also in Florida. Um, with the 22nd pick, they signed Jace Beck. Uh, with the 35th pick, they signed Daniel Maldonado, who is an outfielder from the um carlos beltran uh baseball academy in puerto rico and excuse me um beck is from blanchard high school in oklahoma uh with the 36th pick they took tucker flint who's an outfielder from bishop hendrickson school in rhode island 
And with the 37th pick, they signed, uh, they selected Dylan Lawson, who is a third baseman slash right-handed pitcher from Madison County High School in Florida. So basically, we know that Barco is not signing. Blaine McIntosh, the 22nd round pick, he has a commitment to Vanderbilt. Most likely, he is not signing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 25th pick, um, Charles uh, Joseph Charles, he has a commitment to North Carolina. So, mm, most likely not signing. But those other prep arms, um, they might be able to... I, I think that there's a 50% chance plus of signing each one of them. And, you know... There's there's interesting things about each guy. Uh, Beck is six foot nine, which is always fun for a pitcher. Something nice. the Mets love. Yep. yep. Has it ever worked for them? Not really. Uh, no. I mean, they had that really good Savannah said Nats rotation in like 2014 or whatever, where everybody was like six seven or taller, but. It was fun for a couple minutes, but obviously none of those guys. Yeah, no one was going to charge the mound against that team. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Daniel Maldonado from Carl's Beltran Baseball Academy, outfielder, kind of very, stereo- very prototypical kind of young, athletic um, outfielder that's going to probably fill in, put on muscle, put on power. Tucker Flint, same thing. Um Outfielder, he's a little bit thicker, less to fill in, but he's athletic, not the best runner, but he has a little, uh, a little bit of power. Lawson, um, who's right-handed pitcher, he he's mainly an infielder, but they drafted him as a pitcher. Um, it's very stereotypical, uh, excuse me, very prototypical late-round prep pick, you know, high 80s fastball kind of slurvy change um kind of fiddles around the change up every once in a while camden loverich who was their 40th round pick from trinity presbyterian uh high school in alabama very you know similar profile high 80s fastball kind of slurvy breaking ball um yeah so there is some youth within all these kind of senior guys if you could pick one, if if magically, I mean, I guess Barco is completely out of the question now. Mm-hmm. If he's said that he's going to Florida, period, that's it. But if by some, by hook or by crook, they come up with the money and they're able to sign, you know, one of McIntosh or Joseph Charles, who would you, who would you like to see? Another kind of high upside prep uh, right-hander or a kind of, Raw center fielder with a smooth swing and above average speed, kind of like um, those college seniors that they picked, but much younger and still much more predictable. Give me the bat. Yeah, I'd probably take McIntosh. Yeah, McIntosh, doing the research about him, he's he's kind of interesting. Um, his sister is on American Idol, and she's like a country singer. Oh, so, good. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help him at all, but it's one of those random tidbits that's interesting about him. I mean, without without more detailed scouting reports than any of these guys, you just play the percentages and give me the one that's less likely to blow out their main baseball tool over the course of their development. Right? Like, yeah. That's basically it. Center fielder from Beltron Academy would be fun just because it's a center fielder from the Beltron Academy, but I don't think he's as highly, I don't think uh, Maldonado's as highly regarded as either of those guys. No, um, and I don't know offhand how likely or, or or unlikely a guy from the Carlos Beltron Academy is about to, is to, to sign, sign with the Mets. Does he have giving. a college commitment? I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure that Carlos Beltran uh, called him in the office as soon as his name got called, and he said, <laughs> okay. "Kid, come here. You don't want to. You don't protect want to protect your knees." <laughs> Listen, man, I was there. You don't want that kind of crazy. <laughs> um, let's see. Commitment: Florida Southwestern. Okay. So he has a commitment. Uh, 
circling back for just a moment, I find I found it amusing that they basically drafted the shortstop they were going to draft in the second round in the uh, uh, where did they take Fryman like the twenty whatever twenty something twenty first. Like, it doesn't strike me as meaningfully different. No, I mean he is this a same same kind of profile that you know go back a, a year or two and you would see that guy somewhere in like fifth pick whatever mm-hmm. yeah they were thinking about taking uh what's his name out of florida that the royals saved them from ah. then again if they're like going to take allen i guess it didn't matter um McCon- mcconnell yeah brady mm-hmm. mcconnell mm-hmm. and fryman is a guy that they drafted in a couple of years ago in 2016 yep and Love um, doing that. <laughs> yes jake mangum they selected last year and they picked him again this year I don't even, I don't I don't think there's a fundamental problem with that, right? Like it's it's okay. Like okay, you're gonna draft. You already have information on this guy. Just don't give them an overslot bonus like you did with Cortez, Just, please. Yeah, take the extra year into account. You know? Right. And then like, don't throw your leverage out the window with the extra year. Yeah. No. All right. Well, um, obviously it'll take years for you know, everyone to develop and to really be able to assess the draft. But on a scale of one to 10, how would you guys say the Mets did? Assuming, you know, Beatty Wolf and Allen all sign and there are no, you know, maybe one or two of those other prep guys sign, all these seniors get picked, maybe one or two of those juniors, you know, assuming everything goes right, which is usually not something that happens with the Mets, but mm-hmm. how would you grade this draft? Uh, I would say pretty well from a process standpoint. This kind of reminds me of, um, I'm not comping either of these players to anyone the Mets drafted, just to be clear, but it reminds me of the same type of strategy that the Astros pulled off in 2012 with uh, Correa and McCullers. This is like, you know, just the same kind of, okay, we have a really good prep pitcher who... It's going to cost a lot of money. Let's save some money in the first round and then actually do it <laughs> mm-hmm. in the third, you know? Uh, that's a good call. Yeah, I mean, I give it a solid A- minus or an A uh, based on the process and the guys that drafted. The only thing that could have possibly gone better is is something fell in the first round to them better than Beatty, yep. which might not have even... like if. If Bishop had fallen, for instance, to them at 12, and then they pulled off the rest of this, I'd be like, A-plus, best draft ever, I love it. Yeah. But this, this is, like, really great. In in yeah. a bad draft class, I think that this is mm-hmm. you know, about as good as you could have hoped for, picking at, like, 12. Do you guys... Yeah. Now, we don't know what their, what their numbers were, what their commitments were, but do you guys have a... Did you have a preference between Allen and Leiter going into this draft as the, the sort of two prep arms they maybe could have taken this approach with? Um, I, I mean, I certainly had a preference to lighter, um, but that's probably just cause I've seen them. And also it sounds like there was like a $2 million discrepancy between the two. Mm, mm. So lighter at 5 million as a prep, you know, I would probably take Allen at 3 million just because mm. it's more possible or feasible. Really the fundamental differences between Allen and Leiter are, you know, six of one thing and half a dozen of the other. They're very, very, very similar. Mm. And I think that we all have leaned Leiter just because, you know, he's a local guy, obviously is the mm. Mets connection, and just, you know, the the fun of all of that, the sentimentality of all of that. Yeah, right. But I mean, you could have, you know, really copy and paste the, their their profiles, and switch them around, and you're gonna have the same exact thing. Yep. Yep, that's kind of my take on it as well. Plus, again, yeah. prep pitchers need what five or six years to get to the majors, and it's just gonna be totally different by then. So. Yeah. Um, what I take out of the whole draft this year was that it felt like they were drafting with a plan and that is better than anything that they were thinking on their feet. Mm -hmm. Allen dropped overnight. They called, they did their diligence, whatever they changed 
I'm assuming everything that they were going to do from rounds four to ten. They got that guy, and it just shows a reactiveness and proactiveness that they have not shown in the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. Like, we yeah. were... Go ahead, Lucas. Like, we, the, we, the speculation last year was that SWR was not a panic pick, but a backup backup pick. Yep. Yeah, that they thought they were going to get Lenny Torres or... Um, I forget who the other one they were trying to float was. Right. So, so to see them actually execute a plan is, yeah. is really encouraging. To mm-hmm. actually get, you know, probably the best player available at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, the pretty big departure from what they've done in the past and a level of organization, I think, that we haven't seen from them in the draft. Yeah, a level of in, guts, too. Like, guts. Yeah, and yeah. Or, yeah. It is definitely uh, a bold gambit. And I don't know if it's because Brody Van Wagenen, he's in his first year, he wants to make a statement. Um, don't know if it's because, you know, he brought in a couple of people and gave them a bigger voice than kind of and all the same guys that were left um, over still in the organization. And this is going to be the, the new kind of the new normal going forward. Um, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens next year mm-hmm. and see if they go with a more conventional uh, strategy or if next year they, they go bold and big again. Who knows? Mm-hmm. If this is sort of like the initial return for how Brody Van Wagenen is going to dra- uh, like a pr- approach the draft, then I could not be happier. Yep. Yeah, yeah it is. It, it is. I, uh, you can at least see the, the framework of a plan, which yep. you couldn't do for years. You'd have to go back to like 2011, where like they managed to get Nimmo, Fulmer, or a few others in that draft, I think. Like Sandy did a lot of things well. I generally like Sandy. If you, the, oh, like, yeah, me times too. I got to talk to him, he seemed like a great guy too. But like the the non first round picks, he were did do possibly, very very well in the first round. Absolutely, mm-hmm. but the non first round picks were perhaps the worst part of his resume with the Mets. Yeah, um, especially the parts of his resume that are totally in his control and not under the Will Ponds thumb. Mm-hmm. So this is a good change. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, guys, thank you. Uh, we're gonna go to break here. And when we get back, I'm going to sit down with Alex Nelson, the only person in the Mets uh, prospect verse that does the draft better than me. So we'll be back right <laughs> after this. I'm, hey, I, I'm just the only one more like modest, too. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back, Mets fans. And I'm now joined by my predecessor, the former masochist that handled all of the draft stuff for Mason Avenue, but not so secretly loved it. Alex Nelson. So, Alex, how's it going? It's going very well. Thanks for having me, Steve. So we'll we'll get to the the nitty ditty uh, nitty gritty details in a minute. But the Mets went with three upside, very high upside prep players with their first three picks. More on them in a minute. But um, a whole bunch of college seniors, and it's a pretty radical departure from the strategy that they've had for the past couple of years. The more conventional method of picking the best guys that are still available. So do you think that a strategy like that is better than the more conventional one? Or do you think that the Mets might have hamstringed themselves a bit by being so top-heavy with their picks this year? Well, at this point, um, it's it's almost like if if this strategy what pro- or was going to be successful, you'd, you'd start to wonder why other teams aren't on it. I mean, the Mets are not exactly the most forward-thinking organization. And it's difficult to imagine that they're being forward-thinking in this regard. Um, so it's 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 smarter than what they've been doing, but it's probably not the optimal strategy. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if they sign their first three picks, I mean, that's a pretty pretty good haul. Um, yeah, it with, certainly is. With their first pick, they went with Brett Beatty, who is a third baseman out of Lake Travis High School, which is in Austin, Texas. And phenomenal numbers. I mean, you have to obviously discount high school numbers. They really don't count for anything. 
but it's a good profile, and uh, obviously he's a bit older than most uh, players selected in the draft. I think he is in his late 19s, uh, six months or something like that, older than the next oldest player that was available in this draft this year. So there's good and there's bad with Beatty. So what do you think of him overall? Ah uh, well, like you said, it's it, there's good and there's bad, and uh, so it's a it's sort of a mixed grade. I I did like him overall. Um, the bat, it, it looks good for a prep bat. He's got an advanced approach at the plate. He's willing to wait for a pitch he can drive, and uh, he, you know he has the bat speed to handle just about any pitch uh, somebody can throw at him. Uh, wait for breaking stuff to to reveal itself before he commits. Um, uh, the power is fantastic. Uh, it's probably plus borderline plus plus power, um, raw power, I should say. And it, it you know, he, he's got very quick wrists, so it should reveal itself in games right away. Um, he, he's, a, he's a very good looking hitter. Um, what, what especially impresses me about him is that uh, he seems to have an uncanny feel a feel for uh, squaring up, squaring the bar- barrel of the bat onto the ball, uh, which is something you don't see very often in power hitters. And uh, that is very encouraging and, and certainly gives me a lot of hope. Now, if you were in that draft room, would you have selected Beatty? No, I had four or five guys uh, ahead of him still on the board, I think. Um, I think Corbin Carroll was still available. And uh, I, I loved him. Um, uh, Jackson Rutledge, I think, was just ahead of him. Uh, and he was certainly still available. Uh, sort of blanking on who else. Uh, I had Jack Leiter ahead of him, but he obviously had signability issues. And uh, somebody else. But, um, yeah, I, I had several guys ahead. But I, I, I also had Beatty. I, I ended up with him 13th on my overall draft board. So he was not, I mean, he was pretty close to dead on where I expected him to go. Yep. With what's and all, though, he's definitely a high upside guy. And it was by no means a stretch. No, I don't think so at all. I think he's a, uh, a very legitimate pick at, at 12. All right. With their second pick now. They went with Joshua Wolf, who is a right-handed pitcher at a St. Thomas High School in Houston, Texas. Another Texas kid. Um, kind of scary. Not well, not scary, but a little concerning mechanics. But the stuff looks good. What do you think of Wolf? I like him. Um, he's. In terms of where he is on his development curve, I think he he reminds me a lot of Michael Fulmer. Um, back when, when the Mets drafted him. Uh, also reminds me a little bit of Teddy Stankiewicz when the Mets dra- drafted him, though he didn't sign. Um, you know, he, he there are certain things where he shows an advanced feel for a prep pitcher, um, specifically in his ability to... Um, uh, uh, his ability to uh, spin the curve and, and his feel for a changeup is better than most prep pitchers you'll see. Often when we discuss prep pitchers, we'll sort of politely skirt around the fact that they don't have one. He's a little further along in his development than that. Uh, it is a changeup. It'll flash above average, and uh, he, he, he will use it in games, which is rare for prep pitchers. Um, also, I, I like the way he uh, holds himself on the mound, and I like the way he attacks hitters. So I did not mock, I I try not to mock past the Mets because I'm doing a million other things, but yeah, uh, I know the feeling. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you have any problems with picking Wolf uh, at, with their second round slot? I know that he is a guy that generally was seen as a kind of, uh, you know, either a comp round guy or a second round guy. So do you think that he was, you know, good for where? Well, he, he had a big velocity bump this spring, so it it was a little up in the air where he'd go. And I, I thought that there was a good chance because these, the, the, these guys who have velocity bumps tend to 
go significantly higher than than you're expecting. And I thought there was a good chance that he'd fall in the back end of the first round before the comp picks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not surprising at all for the Mets to take him here. Um, uh, pretty appropriate. I had him, I think, 30 or I'm sorry, 42nd on my uh, draft board. All right. Well, it's a good segue surprise into their third round pick. Definitely the most surprising and exciting pick of the entire draft. Uh, Matthew Allen, a right-hander from Seminole High School in Stanford, uh, Florida. Um, Sanford. Sanford. Sanford, excuse me. Slid to the third round because of of signability issues about how much he was asking. Um, Has a commitment to the University of Florida, but he is a very good pitcher. Yes, Uh, and I've I've had a uh, two in-person looks at him. And uh, he is as good a prep pitcher as you'll find. I, I had Jack Leiter a couple of spots ahead of him, but um, I, I would imagine most scouts would have had Matt Allen ahead. Um, he's more of a traditional um, uh, starter, more of a traditional starter profile. Um, he, he throws three pitches. His changeup is just kind of okay um he needs to work on getting a little more differential with the uh with the speed on it but the uh, curve is plus and it's consistent he he is able to repeat the curve which is also pretty rare in prep pitchers and the fastball is uh, 92 96 only complaint is it's pretty straight so uh he might have some problems with with home runs at some point in his career you mentioned Jack Leiter. Um, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that we've been on the Jack Leiter train. Um, the two of them, would you say, are pretty similar guys in terms of their stuff and, and everything? Pretty similar. Um, I think Leiter's breaking ball is a little bit better, and I I love I, – I want my pitchers to have a good breaking ball, um, which is both – which is probably a deficiency on my behalf because I tend to uh, place too much of a uh, emphasis on it. But, um, I mean, Allen's is still very good, and it's probably a little more consistent than Leiter's is. Um, Both of them are, I think both of them are excellent pitchers, and I think Leiter was just probably a little too unsignable for teams. If, if the Vanderbilt unsignability was not an issue, who would you have picked? If you, I would, if they were both. I, like I said, I would have gone with the better breaking ball and lighter. Mm. Um, but that said, I mean, I think it was a difference of one guy being tenth on my draft board, the other guy being thirteenth. Yeah. So it, it, it the difference is pretty negligible at that point. All right. Well, the majority of the draft. Uh, from picks basically four on were college seniors and a lot of them were you know be honest kind of low upside guys that were just signed to save some money that could be allocated to that's being both honest and polite (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but are there any seniors that were selected that kind of stick out to you that you know might be obviously not the highest upside guys but they can they could have possible MLB uh, role player utility if they develop, you know, uh, 90th percentile. Yeah, I mean, uh, just because they're senior signs and just because for all of these guys, they're, it, this is their third or possibly even fourth shots at the draft um, doesn't mean that there isn't anything to... Um, enjoy uh or or anything to appreciate in their games um uh jack mangum who was their fourth round pick uh was a uh was probably one of the highest priority senior signs for most teams uh entirely because he he is very fast um he he can handle center field very competently um the arm is strong enough uh, the only questions really are at the plate. Um, he doesn't have a, a lot of natural power, although he could grow into a little bit more. 
Um, and he's overly aggressive at the plate. Uh, at least I think he is. Um, his swing also needs a little bit of work because he uh, he sometimes uh, overstrides and, and ends up on his front foot when he swings. And so he, he that really prevents him from driving the ball. So there are things to work on. It's probably more of a fourth outfielder profile, but there there is a chance. Uh, sixth rounder, Zach Ashford, is a guy I like a lot. Um, he's an undersized outfielder. Um, God, he he's probably only 180 pounds, sopping wet, but he um, he he can drive the ball. Uh, surprising power in his in his bat. Uh, he's patient. The swing is pretty simple. Uh, he can handle center field. He's got above average speed, um, although he needs to work on his base running instincts a little bit. Um, so he's he's somebody to watch. He was uh, in the sixth round. Um, never drafted before entirely because he's um, uh, undersized. But you, you, anybody who's watched him, when you talk to anybody who's watched him on a regular basis, they all say he's he's somebody to watch. Um, and Scott Oda in the 10th round is intriguing if only because, um, after years of, uh, after years of, uh, sort of underperforming, uh, in his senior year, he just had a, a giant year for Illinois, Chicago and, uh, the power just exploded i think he had 13 home runs in his first three years and then hit 19 this year 20 not bad yeah it was a pretty good season um uh, he too is a little undersized only 510 185 um although he's an outfield corner only um i i kind of like the swing um it's uh he, he he's somebody to watch just because the tools might have just sort of come into their own this year, and uh, he he might have been under underappreciated before. All right. So despite all the seniors, the Mets did pick a couple of prep players. Uh, they drafted Blaine McIntosh, Jace Beck, Hunter Barco, and Charles Joseph. I think Barco is is the biggest name of that group. A guy that was arguably. Hmm, Top top level talents, but he dropped because of his commitment to Florida. Um, most of these guys are not going to sign. There's a possibility that Beck does, but McIntosh has a commitment to Vanderbilt. He's not signing. Barco has a commitment to Florida. He's not. Joseph probably is not because he has a commitment to North Carolina. But if some chance the Mets are able to pry any of those three away, uh, any of those four guys away from school, who would you prefer? Oh, definitely uh, Barco. Um, the arm strength is uh, fantastic. Uh, the slider is, is quite good. Um, the arm action, not crazy about it. He has a tendency to lose his arm slot. Um, and it, it might, in the end, only be a relief pitcher profile, um, much like uh, Wolf. Who, uh, who very much has relief pitcher mechanics. Um, Barco maybe even a little more so. Uh, but he's an athletic kid. The ceiling is definitely the highest on him. Um, and, and the other two, or uh, at least uh, with regard to uh, McIntosh and Charles, they're just so raw that you can't, you can't reliably um, guess what they're going to evolve into. Um, they are very talented athletes. Charles, I've seen in person because he's uh, just north of Orlando, and he is—he—he's um, kind—he kind of has no idea where the ball is going, but he can throw at 97. And uh, so he—he's—he's he's a guy who absolutely needs to go to college for his own financial future well-being, because uh, he—he's probably not going to get his money uh, from the Mets. Is one thing that Mets are known for. It's doling out large <laughs> sums of cash. Uh, so just rounding things out, uh, is there anybody 
else that the Mets pick that stands out to you that maybe could be a surprise because they're being overlooked given the strategy, you know, that we haven't mentioned in those later rounds? Uh, well, there, there are two, two or three guys who are kind of interesting. Um, I guess three. One of them is uh, Brandon Fryman taken in the 21st round. Uh, he, it's not the first time the Mets have drafted him, so they clearly like him a lot. Um, I don't know if he's going to sign or not. He, he does have another year of uh, eligibility at Sanford. Um, he is very fast, borderline plus-plus speed, I think. Um, and he's got good hands at shortstop, but he um, the arm is not going to cut it. So he, he's probably going to end up at second. Uh, this is Travis Fryman's son also, I should point out. So he's got bloodlines going for him. Um, he's also probably the skinniest kid you'll ever see playing uh, playing baseball. So he, he definitely needs to fill out some and add some strength. Um, difficult to see what to, – to figure out what they have there. Um, after that – I, I've seen Mitchell Sanger pitch a couple of times two years ago for Stetson. He was one of the best pitchers in the country. Um, he's a big, tall, hulking kid, 6'7", 240, I think. And he uh, he just completely lost it this year. Uh, I, I didn't see him this year, so I can't really comment as to as to what happened. But last, last year when I saw him, he was um, – the, the stuff was average across the ball across the board, probably less than that fringe average in places below average other otherwise. But he has a very, very deceptive delivery and he releases the ball very close to the plate. So all of his stuff plays up just a little bit because the, the break happens a little bit later on the breaking stuff and the fastball appears a little faster than the 89 miles an hour it's coming in. Um, so he's somebody to watch. And uh, I've also seen 19th rounder Hunter Parsons a couple of times. And he's got pretty good stuff. Um with a very whippy arm action, he screams reliever to me. Breaking ball is a little slurvy, so it could be tightened up a bit. Command is iffy. But if they clean up a couple of mechanical things, he might factor into uh, a bullpen at some point. All right. So on a scale, you know, just as a gut reaction, on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, assuming that the Mets are able to sign all of the guys that they should be signing, how do you rank the their 2019 draft? Probably, I mean, if you're able to sign all three, and I, I fully expect they will be able to, um, you don't do this unless you have commitments from all the senior signs from rounds four through ten, as well as a firm idea of what Beatty, Wolf, and Allen want. Um, it's probably a B plus draft. Um, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of talent in this draft, but the Mets somehow managed to walk away with three out of the top 45 picks, <laughs> which is a, a really nice haul. And, uh, it might be all they get out of it, but it's, um, it certainly beats the past couple of years when they've, um, as Jeff Paternostro has pointed out a couple of times, when they've basically selected the same sorts of players but with less talent at the top, and uh, they'll probably end up with one better one better player in return. All right. Well, Alex, thank you. You're a great guy, extremely knowledgeable. I recommend everybody uh, give him a follow on Twitter. It's at ALXNelson, N-E-L-S-O-N. Uh, Alex, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure, Steve. And we're back. And that is our show for today. If anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, send us an email. Our email address is fromcomplex2queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. 
Lucas is at Elvlahos343. And Ken is at, at KenLavin91. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Rate it, review it. And we will be back with our regular format, uh, Promote, Extend, Trade, Players of the Week, Oh Yeah, That Guy, all that stuff next week. So until then, uh, hashtag love the Mets, love the Mets.